Welcome to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. All right, well, we're going to turn over to Acts 13 today. So we finally got out of Acts chapter 12, and we will look at Acts chapter 13. Now, one of the things we kind of, we've been talking about it throughout the book of Acts, but we actually talked about it last week a little bit, is how can you know and what are some signs that we are getting closer and closer and closer to the last days, the days before Jesus Christ will return. So what are some of those signs? What are the seasons? What are they going to look like just before Jesus Christ returns? Because he tells us. So what are they? Well, I'm glad y'all paid attention last week. Okay. But I mean, we talked about them. We even saw some on the news. We talked about earthquakes. And you saw that, I mean, just massive earthquake in Turkey and Syria. And they've had another one this week. Not as bad, but still pretty bad on the Richter scale. It was 6.3, I think, this week. So we know about that. We know about what else? We know about wars and threats of wars. What else? Famines, plagues, we experienced that lately? Anybody think about a plague that might have happened not too long ago? So, I mean, all these things are signs that point to the return of Christ Jesus or the season just before Christ Jesus returns. Now, ma'am? Oh, at Asbury? At Asbury, yeah, in Asbury, and not just Asbury. There are other pockets where God is just pouring out His Spirit on some college campuses at Sanford, just here in Birmingham. That's where I went to school uh, at Reed Chapel. They have been meeting for now, it would be six days straight, just young people meeting, just worshiping, sharing testimony and praying, and that's been happening in Asbury. And if you know your Bible... What does the Bible say that God is going to do? He's going to pour out His Spirit, but how is He going to pour out His Spirit and upon whom? On the young. Oh, here, let's look at it. Listen, this is what God says. Yeah, Acts 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So who is God going to pour out His Spirit upon first in the last days? On the young. Okay, your sons and your daughters. So does this mean we're, sir? Acts chapter 2. But you can also go to Joel 2 if you want to read it there too. Same thing. Because Peter just quotes Joel, a prophecy from the book of Joel, talking about the last days. So in Acts chapter 2, this is on the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching that. And so God says in the last days, one of the first things he's going to do is pour out his spirit. Now I think you're seeing glimpses of that. Now, is he pouring out his spirit on the young all around the world? I hope so. I don't know that. But I think he is starting, and you're starting to see aspects of that. It's kind of like right now, okay, we're still in February, right? So is winter over yet? No, but it's going to be 80-something degrees outside. So we're getting a glimpse of what? The next season, right? We're getting a glimpse of spring. Now, it's probably going to get cold again, probably going to get rainy and dreary again, but at least we're getting a glimpse of that. 
that's what I believe is happening right now. I believe we're getting glimpses of God getting ready as we get closer and closer to the last days, those days just before Jesus Christ returns. I believe that. And I, if you can't see that, Jesus says you're not paying attention. Because you know what Jesus says? He says, you can look up to the sky and you can see that a rain cloud's coming, but you can't see the signs of the time. That's what he says. So you need to look for the signs of the time and don't worry about the weather. We tend to worry a whole lot more about the weather than we do about what God is doing on this earth around us. So look for the signs of the time. And I believe you can see them all around you and I believe they're obvious. And you know my heart, I believe we're getting closer and closer to the days of Christ Jesus. So as we get closer and closer and closer to the days of the return of Christ Jesus, one thing I think is of paramount importance is the church. Because I believe that before Jesus Christ can return, something must happen. And I don't just believe this. I know this because he says this in Matthew chapter 24. What must take place before the end can come or before Jesus can return? It's verse 14, by the way. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ has to go to the ends of the earth, to all people, to all languages, and then Jesus says, then the end will come. Well, I don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ can go forth to the ends of the earth, to all people, to all nations, to all languages, without the church. Why? Because that's the way God set it up. That's the way He did it. The church, you and me, followers of Christ, are the ones who take the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So the church is of paramount importance just before Jesus Christ returns because that's how people will hear the gospel. That's how people are saved because that's the way God set the whole thing up. And if you don't believe that, you know what you got to do? Just read the book of Acts. And that's why we're studying the book of Acts. So as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, the church and the church you're involved in needs to be a church that God calls us to be in the Bible. So here's a good question for you. Why do some churches impact their communities and impact their world? Why are there other churches that seem to have very little power to impact anything outside their walls? And why are some churches just barely existing? Why is that? Prayer? I mean, that's a huge component of it, but what else? There's more. What? Obedience, that's a huge component of it. Complacency? For sure. What else? You need to think about this. Don't you want to be a part of a church that's doing something according to God's Word? I don't want to be a church that's just dying on a vine. Lack of discipleship. That's not, not knowing what God says. Some people think they can do it on their own without the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, there, I mean, we could sit here all day and talk about this. But today, I want you to see a church that I believe is a pretty good model for the last days, just before Jesus Christ returns. Because today, we're going to transition in Acts 13 to a different church. 
because primarily the church we have been looking at up until this point in Acts 13 is the church in Jerusalem, right? Because that's where the church started, with 120 who prayed. And then on the day of Pentecost, everything changed with the coming of the Holy Spirit. But the church at this point had centered in Jerusalem, right? That's where everything happened. That's where everything we read about happens up until Acts chapter 8, basically. And then Acts chapter 8, what happens? Persecution. And then when persecution comes, what happens to the church? The Bible says they all scatter except the apostles. The apostles stay back in Jerusalem, but the rest of the church scatters. And they go, but they do something as they go. They preach the gospel everywhere they went, Acts 8, 4. Okay, that's what they did. And so then we read about Philip going to Samaria. And what did he do there? He preached the gospel there. And an entire city came to faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says there that there was great joy in that city. Then right after that, he goes and he meets on a desert road an Ethiopian and he leads him to Christ. And what does that Ethiopian do? He takes the gospel back to Africa. And so now you're starting to see the gospel spread just like Jesus said it would in Acts 1.8. It starts in Jerusalem and then what happens? It goes to Judea. Then what happens? It goes to Samaria. And now in Acts chapter 13, we're going to start seeing the point in the book of Acts where the gospel begins to start going to the ends of the earth. But here's one thing you need to know. What did it take to get the gospel out of Jerusalem? It took persecution. And so I hate this, but I believe... Unfortunately, that's what it's going to take just before Jesus Christ comes back to fulfill Matthew 24, 14. It's going to take persecution. It's going to take us being scattered. It's going to take the church to be spurred to do what God has called us to do. And so, just like the book of Acts, when this happens, we need to be a part of a group who are centered on God's Word filled with His Holy Spirit, we need to be a part of a church making an impact in our world. And so that's what I want you to see in Acts 13. But before Acts 13, I want you to see how this church started. So look back to Acts chapter 11, and then we'll look at Acts chapter 13. But I want you to make sure we know exactly what's happening here in Antioch. Now Antioch, it says it's in Syria, but that is not modern-day Syria. It's basically modern-day Turkey. And so there's even a town in Antica now that is still basically what we think Antioch is that's in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. But if you have there, look at Acts chapter 11, and this is how the church of Antioch starts. Look at verse 19. It says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been what? When were they scattered? Acts chapter 8, when persecution hit Jerusalem. So this is, some, this is a place where the believers were scattered. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles. Now, this is pretty important. Now, did the ones who had been scattered from Jerusalem... <laughs> Preach the gospel to Gentiles? Mm -mm. Who preached the gospel to the Gentiles? Those who were from Cyprus and Cyrene. Okay, so we talked about this a little bit, but what does that tell you about 
the church of Jerusalem. They had some bias. They had some prejudice. They were racist to an extent. And who was their leader? Peter. And what did we talk about Peter? He had some prejudice. He had some bias. He was racist. And did God change that? God changed that. And He's going to change it in the other believers too. Because look at what happens next. The power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Now, wouldn't you love to know what a large number is? Now, I would love to know what a large number. Because we know about numbers in the book of Acts. How many people believed on the day of Pentecost? 3,000. Okay, now that's 3,000 men probably. We don't know how many believed. But this says a large number. So is 3,000 a large number? Well, they said that specifically, but they don't say it here. They just say a large number. I think it was more people than 3,000. And we don't think about this being one of the greatest revivals in the Bible, but I think this is one of the greatest revivals in the Bible. And I think the church at Antioch did more than the church in Jerusalem. Because you just got to read the rest of the book of Acts for that. But a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22, When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, we talked a lot about Barnabas, and I believe that Barnabas probably biblically is more like Christ than anyone you'll see in the Bible. He's incredible. And we're going to see some of that as we read the book of Acts. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he, talking about Barnabas, was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Why? Because of his ministry. Okay? He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. And he was the leader. I'm going to show you that of the church there in Antioch. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year teaching large crowds of people, there it is again, large crowds of people, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Now, in Antioch, that was a derogatory term. And all, I told you this, all Christian means is just little Christ. So they were really making fun of these newfound believers. But the church wore it as a badge of honor rather than just something that was demeaning. And so this is where they're called Christians. Now, do you realize that most places in the Bible, we are not called Christians? Do you know how many times in the Bible we're called Christians? Okay, that's a good trivia question for you. <laughs> it ain't many, though, I'm telling you. It's way low below five, by the way. Okay, so what are we called in God's Word? We're called believers. We're called followers. That's what Jesus called us. Come follow me. We're called disciples, okay? So we're followers. We're believers. We're disciples of Christ Jesus. And what does a follower of someone do? The same things they do. They imitate them. They just do the same things they do. And that's what we're called to be is followers of Christ, believers, disciples of Christ. Okay, so I just wanted you to see that. So that's how the church of Antioch starts. So now look at 13, Acts 13. Let's look at just a couple of verses here, and I want to show you a church. 
and what a church, especially in the last days, needs to look like. Okay, so look at verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch at Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's just a little bit talk about a church and what a church should be and how a church should function. Okay, the first thing you see here about the church of Antioch is you see that the church of Antioch had spiritual leaders. They had spiritual leadership. Now, that's very, very, very important because a lot of churches have leaders. A lot of churches have leadership. But there is a difference between leadership and spiritual leadership. Most football teams have leadership, right? Most basketball teams have leadership. Most corporations have leadership. Some of them have really good, if not great, leadership. And you can lead and you can have processes in place and plans in place and visions in place, and you can do great things. You can do a lot of things. And guess what? That's how a lot of churches are led. It just is. And I've been in seminary, and I've been to a lot of conferences. And do you know in most of those places what I hear? I hear things about leadership. But it ain't spiritual leadership. For the most part, for the church in America, do you know what we've done? We've taken principles from the world and brought them into the church and have used those principles to lead the church. That's what we've done. And some churches have used those and used them very well. And they've built big buildings, and they have large budgets, and they have really big ministries. They do. But does that make them blessed by God? But how do we see it from a worldly point of view? man, I want to be a part of that church, or I would like to be like that church, or look at what that church is doing. Is that not the way we look at it? Because we look at it from worldly eyes, not spiritual eyes. And I'm telling you, there's a big difference between leadership and spiritual leadership. Okay, the church of Antioch had spiritual leadership, right? Okay, how do I know? Well, one way I know is because I believe their leaders are humble. Okay, how many leaders do we talk about here at the church of Antioch? Well, we read about four, right? Okay, now we don't know if these are the only leaders of the church of Antioch, but we read about four leaders here at the church of Antioch. Okay, so was there just one leader for the church of Antioch, or did they have shared responsibility? I mean, I think they share the responsibility. Now, I personally believe that there was a senior leader here, 
And I believe the senior leader, whatever you want to call it, the lead leader, I believe for the church of Antioch, that was Barnabas. Now, the reason I believe that is because he's listed first, but in Acts 11, who did we read about coming from Jerusalem? Barnabas. And what did Barnabas do when he got there? He was filled with joy because of what God was doing. And then the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith and many people came to the Lord. Why? Because he was teaching, he was ministering, he was preaching the good news of the gospel. And many people came to faith because of him. And then what did he do? Hey, he remembered a guy named Saul. Had he had contact with Saul before? Yeah, he basically kept him from getting killed when he went to Jerusalem for the first time. And so he went and got this young man named Saul and he brought Saul and he brought him alongside. And what did he do? He discipled him. That's what he did. He discipled him. And for a year here in the church of Antioch, what did Barnabas and Saul and Simeon and Lucius, what did they do together? They ministered together. They worked together. And to do that, I'm just telling you, you have to be humble. There needs to be humility. And I'm telling you, God will not use an arrogant leader. He just won't do it. Now, does that mean an arrogant leader can't do things in the world's eyes and look great? No, they can do it. There's a lot of them. But I'm telling you, in the last days, the closer we get to Jesus Christ, the number one characteristic you need to look for in a leader of a church is humility. Humility. Look for humility. I believe the leaders of the church here were humble. But also the leaders of the church here had different gifts. They had different spiritual gifts. That's why it took multitudes of them to do it. We know that because what does it say? Among what? The prophets and the teachers. Now, were they all prophets and were they all teachers? No, some were prophets, some were teachers. Now, what does it mean to be a prophet? Okay, we know this from the Old Testament. What does a prophet do? He prophesies, he speaks for God. That's what a prophet does. And how do you know if a prophet is truly a prophet? Because what he says happens. What he says comes to truth. It comes to pass. That's how you know a prophet from a false prophet. That's how you know from the Old Testament. They spoke from God. Okay, so let's think about this just a minute here, especially the context of Acts chapter 13. Why did they have prophets in Acts chapter 13? What did they not have in Acts chapter 13? They had some of the Bible, but they didn't have the Bible we have. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the book of Acts. Guess what? The book of Acts is being written while they're living it, right? Okay, did they have the book of Mark? No. John Mark's going to be here. We're going to read about him in a minute, and he's going to screw up big time. He doesn't write the gospel of Mark till later. Okay, do we have the gospel of Luke? Do we have the gospel of John? Do we have Matthew? Do we have 1 Timothy? Do we have Romans? Do we have any of that? No, we don't have any of that because it's not written yet. So what were prophets there to do? They were there to speak for God and to prophesy about not only what God was doing, what He was going to do. But not only did they have that, they had what else? They had teachers. Okay, again, here, what do you think teachers did in Acts chapter 13? Well, I'll tell you what they did. They taught about Jesus. They passed down the stories of Jesus Christ. They told the parables that Jesus Christ spoke. They talked about the ministry that Jesus Christ worked and lived on this earth. They talked about the cross 
And I know, because I showed you this, they talked about the resurrection over and over and over and over. They taught people about Jesus. And then they intertwined the teachings of Jesus to the Old Testament to point people, to show them that this was God's plan all the way along. Is that not what Jesus did when he was on this earth? Is that not what Peter did in Acts chapter 2 and in other places? That's what they did. You're going to see Paul do that throughout the whole book of Acts. They would take Old Testament teachings and point to Jesus Christ through that and point to his salvation and point to all that God was doing in his whole plan and tying the word of God together. That's what teachers do. And it took prophets and it took teachers. And they were there in humility, and they worked together in humility. And this is the type of ministry they had. They had a spiritual ministry. Now again, there's a difference between leadership and spiritual leadership, and there is a huge difference between ministry and spiritual ministry. Now most churches, almost all of them that I know, have ministries, right? But again, why are some churches just hanging on? Why are some churches really not making an impact and others really doing what God's Word says? I believe there's a difference between ministry and spiritual ministry. A huge difference. Okay, what's the difference to you between a ministry and a spiritual ministry? The Holy Spirit being a part, yeah, of course. Helping, serving. Find Jesus. Spiritual ministry, I think, means following through with what you see that someone, I mean, as you minister, is following through with that ministry, doing it yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Long term, of course, obedience, long term. Well, let me tell you what I think the difference is between ministry and spiritual ministry. Okay. Everything we said there, we were ministering to people. That's not spiritual ministry. Do you know what spiritual ministry is? You're ministering to God. Okay, that's spiritual ministry. That's the first thing the church is called to do. Minister to God. Now, how do I know that they had a spiritual ministry? Well, what does it tell us about them? Look at verse 2. One day as these men, talking about the leaders, one day as these men were doing what? Worshiping the Lord and fasting. Okay, were they doing that for other people? Were they serving people here? Uh-uh. Not at first. They were ministering and serving to the Lord, right? That's what they're doing. Now, I said this Sunday, but worship is really the only way we can serve God. It is the only way we can minister to God. It's just the only way we can. Because God doesn't need anything you got. He definitely doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your resources. He sure don't need your talent. Sorry about that, but He don't. He sure don't need mine. He don't need your knowledge. You can't tell him anything he don't know, right? So what can you give God that he doesn't have? Zero. The only thing you can give God is glory and worship. That's all you got to give him. And that's the only way you can minister to him. 
And we do that through worship. But not only worship, how else? We fast. And what happens when we fast? We just say, God, I need you more than anything. There is nothing in this life I need more than you. Even food to sustain my body and give me strength so that I won't pass out and faint. So that's what you're doing when you worship and when you fast. You just show your desperation and your dependence upon God, right? That's spiritual ministry. That's what it is. But they didn't just do those two things. It goes on to tell us what they did after the Holy Spirit spoke. What else were they doing? Verse 3, so after more fasting and prayer, so they fasted twice. I won't talk about that, but we don't like that. But they also prayed. Okay, so that's spiritual ministry. A church that ministers to the Lord, a church that fasts, a church that prays. That's what the church of Antioch did, and it made a huge difference. Why? Because of that, God used them for a spiritual mission. Because not only did they have spiritual leadership and a spiritual ministry, they had a spiritual mission set apart, called out by God. Look at verse 2 again. Just read the rest of what we read there. Look at verse 2, what it says. One day as these men were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Now, I said this Sunday, but I would love to know how the Holy Spirit spoke to them. I would love to know that. I have no clue how it happened. He might have done it through a prophet. He might have just literally audibly spoken to them. But we know he had to speak to more than one of them, right? We know he had to speak to Barnabas and Saul. Why? Because they're the ones that are called out, right? And are you going to do what they do if you're not called to do it? I need to hear the voice of God to do what they do. Go read about Paul and the rest of his life. He needed the voice of God to do what he did and all that he suffered and everything he went through in his life. You need the voice of God. They heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was an audible voice. Maybe it was through a prophet. I don't know how it happened. But God speaks. I tell you that all the time. God still speaks. They heard his voice. And when he said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. And so after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Now, what did the church of Antioch do when they heard the voice of God? Well, number one, they did something immediately. They didn't sit around and wait. They did something immediately. And what did they do? Yeah. The first thing I think we think, well, they just did immediately what he said to do. They didn't. The first thing they did is what? They fasted more and they prayed more. Then... They laid hands on them and sent them on their way. Do you see the difference between ministry and spiritual ministry? Spiritual ministry is always focused on God. And they understood where the power was. The power is in prayer and fasting. 
And so before they sent Barnabas and Saul out, they prayed and they fasted. Why? Because that's how God works. He works through the prayers of His people. Right? That's right. Whether you believe it or not, I'm telling you, that's how God works. And before we do anything, whatever it is, we need to pray. Pray. And I believe fasting is a part of that, a huge part of that, by the way, because it says it right here. But we need to pray. And then the outpouring of that prayer is really what we're going to read about in the rest of the book of Acts. But let me say something else about a church and about you, individual believers. Whom did God call out of this church for a special work? Barnabas and Saul. Okay, so Barnabas and Saul. Were these two guys just sitting on the sideline, just content to come and to listen every week and just to watch what was going on? No, they were already heavily invested in serving, right? Okay, that's whom God calls and sets apart. Think about it. In Acts chapter 9, did God set apart Saul or Paul for this special work? Did He send him out? No. No, chapter 9, He told somebody that this is His plan. Who did He tell? Do you remember? Ananias, who went and prayed for him and laid his hands on him and the Holy Spirit filled Paul. He told Ananias that. He didn't tell Paul that. You realize that? He didn't speak that into Paul's life at that point. Why? Because what do you think would have happened to Paul if God had said that at that moment and laid before him all the things he was going to do? I would have ran like a me. I would have ran like a scalded dog. I mean, he wasn't ready for that. So what had to happen? We talked about this. He had to go spend some years with Jesus, number one. But that wasn't enough. Then he's sitting down in Tarsus, and who goes and gets him? Barnabas. And then Barnabas pours into his life, and he ministers to him, and he disciples him for a year here at the church of Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas are serving together, ministering together, and they're teaching together, they're preaching together, they're prophesying, they're doing all the things here, ministering to the Lord. And that's when God calls him out, when he's ready so here's the point. Don't expect God to use you in an incredible way when you're sitting on your butt doing nothing. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You have to get engaged. And you have to do what God's Word says. And you have to minister to Him. And you have to spend time in fasting. And you spend time in prayer. And you spend time in ministry serving and doing all the things God's Word says in obedience. That's when God uses you. That's when God sets you apart for a special work to do something great in His name. But not before those things. It's when He knows your dependence upon Him that's when He can fill you full of the Holy Spirit of God so that you can minister and work in power. And that's what happens here at the Church of Antioch. And that's what we need in the last days. That's what we need as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ.
I tell you all the time about my mission trips. But I'll tell you the, well, one of the times, I've been convicted a lot on mission trips. But one of the times I was really convicted on a mission trip, and it was to one of my trips to China. And on this particular trip, we were going and speaking and teaching and ministering to the underground church. And so I never forget going to this one apartment that we went to. We found the cigarette. It took us forever to get there from our hotel. We finally got to this just concrete building. I mean, it's just what you would expect to see somewhere like Russia whenever you see pictures of communism. I mean, it was drab, it was dreary, it was gray concrete building. That's all it was. Every door on it was steel, and every apartment had one window, one window in every apartment. And it was in the little kitchen right above the sink. And so we climbed up to the third floor, and we banged on this big steel door, and they had a little peephole that they could look out, and somebody inside looked at a little peephole and saw me and the missionary, the pastor there, and we walked in. We weaved through this little apartment back into a bedroom, and the bedroom was maybe 10 by 10, 12 by 12, small little bedroom. Again, concrete walls, no windows. And as we were walking back to that bedroom, I could hear singing. And then they opened that bedroom door, and it's just like the worship just hits you. And we walked in, and in this room, 10 by 10, 12 by 12, there were 50, over 50 people, believers, in there worshiping. And I mean, they were worshiping. They weren't just sitting there, blah, 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 singing. I mean, they were worshiping. Some people were on the ground on their face before God. Some people sitting there with hands lifted on high. Some people weeping with tears in their eyes. They were worshiping. I'm telling you, they were ministering to the Lord. That's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. And so I walk in and I just sit down. Of course, I don't know a word they're saying. They're in Mandarin, everything they do. And the missionary gets up and for two hours... Two hours, he teaches them God's Word. And that day, he's teaching them about how to share the gospel with their family, with relatives, with others in their community. And the main part of the message was not evangelism. It was about the persecution that's going to come when they do it and how they can be sustained and how they can survive persecution. That's really what the whole sermon was about for two hours. Two hours. Then at the end of the two hours... I'm just standing there minding my own business because I really don't know a word he said. I'm just watching. And then he walks over to me and he whispers in my ear and he says, Hey, John, the church here really wants to hear from you. And they know you're from America and they want to hear what you have to say to them. And there's not many times in my life I'm at a loss for words. I mean, I have a lot of words. I had nothing. I mean, because in reality, I didn't need to be preaching to them. They need to be preaching to me. For sure. I needed what they had. They didn't need anything I had. And God just spoke to my heart. And it changed me. And it changed the way I did ministry. I wasn't a pastor at that point. I was a missions pastor at that point. But it changed the way I viewed the church. It changed the way I viewed God. It changed me. 
And I don't know what it's going to take to change the church. And when I talk about the church in America, the true believers here that follow Christ, I don't know what it's going to take. I be believe it's going to take persecution, unfortunately. I wish it didn't take that. Why does it take that? Why does it? I don't. That's so stupid. We are dumb sheep, but it's so stupid. I mean, we read about it. Why do we try to explain God's word away? I don't understand. I just don't understand. It's not. We try to make it way too complicated. All we're called to do is what this book tells us to do. And we're just called to live out God's word. It's really not hard. We're called to worship. We're called to fast. We're called to pray, right? And then we're called to do whatever the Holy Spirit says when we do that. Is that not God's Word? That's all it is. Why do we make it so difficult? It's not hard. So this week, that's my prayer for you. That you will worship, you will fast, you will pray, and that God will speak to you. And then you'll just do what He says. And when he finds a people like that, what does he do? He changes the world. That's what he does. He changes the world. So I pray it happens here. So let me bow with me. Let me pray. Lord, we love you. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.